You're listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast, a recording of the Sunday sermons from Christ Church Toronto. Christ Church Toronto is a new church in Toronto's East End that seeks to practice the ancient Christian faith today. We would love for you to join us in the future, but until then, please turn your attention to the scripture reading. Today's scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 6, verse 16 to 24. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is the word of the Lord for our church, and it is given for our good. Thanks Thanks be to God. Thanks, Susie. Would you join me in prayer? Our Father, as we consider these words of Christ to us, we ask that you would speak to us, that you would come and do your work by your Spirit, that you would make known to us what you would have to say and transform us through this time by the power of your Spirit. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. I'll say to the sound people, there is some feedback coming up here somewhere. Oh, that's outside. Okay. All right, we'll put up with the feedback. Here it is. We're going to move a little quickly through this text. We've had a lot um, happening today, wonderful things, um, but let's, um, we're going to walk through this fairly quickly. Um, when I was in uh, elementary school, I had a very good friend. I'd go over to his house. It's where I first learned how to play um, GoldenEye on Nintendo 64. For those who have ever played GoldenEye, the multiplayer game was a great game. Uh, We got very close through our elementary school days, and then grade five graduation, we're going to middle school, okay, different school. We show up there, and I end up being in a different class, and I remember um, early on from that transition period getting quite close with uh, another group of friends, okay, this is like another, another group that I kind of came to associate myself with, and I remember being conflicted in the years that followed. Right, uh, this good friend of mine who I, I was loyal to, you know, who I who I defended, who we, you know, we did pranks together, we caused trouble in class, and you know, uh, we got gotten quite close. I had this loyalty to him, and yet there was this other group of friends where he he didn't find belonging in the same way, and I often felt conflicted. You know, wh- wh- uh, where should I go? Uh, which, where is my loyalty? And I found myself in a place where I, I simply couldn't be loyal to both. I, I couldn't find a way to, to, to be loyal to both. And I ended up, you know, and our paths ended up uh, parting. And I ended up being closer with this group of friends. And that lasted all through, you know, high school and, and beyond. Um, I say this uh, with in mind this passage 
where we're told by Jesus, you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money, as, as we'll see. Uh, I also had um, a pastoral mentor early in my own marriage who talked about how a woman in marriage never wants to play second fiddle, is the way that he put it. Okay? A woman never wants to play second fiddle. Right? She doesn't want to be second to any, anything else. And, and as long as she has this sense that there's something else that you love, that you're more committed to, more devoted to than her, this is going to be a problem. It's going to create challenges in your marriage. When a man loves his work more than, and, and finds himself more committed to his work, to his employer, than he is to his wife, right? or, or, or flip it around. You know, when a woman is more committed to her work or, or more committed to, say, the advice of her friends or the advice of her parents than she seems to be devoted to her husband, all of a sudden this creates serious problems in the relationship. And you find that you can't serve two masters. Right? You can't love and be devoted to, in an overarching way, two things. Okay, as, as an early Jewish writing put this in a similar time, a person cannot at the same time mount two horses. <laughs> right? You cannot at the same time mount two horses. No one can serve two masters, Jesus tells us. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Turns out, we're people who are made to have one Lord, one master, one primary, all-consuming direction for our lives. And we cannot have more than one, Jesus tells us. You simply cannot have two directions. You might put it this way. You can't have two final, dire- uh, final destinations that your life is set up to go in that direction. Right? And the two final destinations that Jesus puts before us are these. Will you live your life with its final destination as God? and the pleasing of God? Or will you live your life in the direction, the final destination, to live your life toward what he calls money? Now, I admit that this is a strange way to put it. Um, God or money, you you might think a better distinction would be like God versus the devil, right? Or even, or, uh, you know, serve God or serve yourself. It's a strange thing to say God or money. How does money serve as this great antithesis to a life in service of God? Um, Ebenezer Scrooge comes to mind, right, as kind of the, the, the character here, right? The, the man who sits in his office just taking great pleasure counting his coins, loving his money, right? Obsessed with his own wealth, even to the detriment of poor Bob Cratchit. And Scrooge, it's important to point out, doesn't love money for money's sake, of course. His love of these coins is, of course, emblematic. Uh, money means power. Money means access. Money means assets. It means things. It means you can accumulate. It means freedom of a certain kind. Money means comfort, right? Access to the things that we want in life. Now, the way older translations put this text is, ye cannot serve God and mammon. Maybe some of you are more familiar with that translation. Rather than saying money, uh, mammon, this uh, uh, transliteration, it's it's a word for um, riches or wealth, right? You cannot serve both God and money or wealth or riches, right? And there's something interesting here where Jesus personifies wealth. He personifies riches. You cannot serve God, this person God, and you cannot serve this other person or figure called mammon, right? And in this sense, Jesus is not talking about money just as a material uh, source that you can access, but he's talking about money, mammon, as this symbol of worldly wealth, as a controlling desire in a person's life. And Jesus knows 
that it controls. Okay. Mammon is a controlling god. If you serve mammon, you will come to be devoted to mammon, Jesus tells us. And it will actually, surprising to you perhaps, it will make you hate God. It will cause you to turn away from God, to despise God and God's ways. As one commentary puts it, mammon, once it has, once it has its hooks in human flesh, will drag it where it wills, all the time whispering in the ear dreams of self-aggrandizement. Right, this is what mammon does. Once it gets into you, it begins to drag you away, all the while whispering about your own success, about all the things that you can accomplish and accumulate for yourself. And so Jesus sets a fork in the road before us this morning. There's a fork in the road put before you where you're sitting. That you can choose to serve mammon, to build a life for yourself of comfort and respectability. But this does and will forever stand at odds with a life lived in service of God. This is what Jesus tells us. Okay, there's a fork in the road, and there's a choice you have to make. You cannot serve both God and mammon, and you have to choose. And my suspicion is that some of us here today uh, need to decide that there are very concrete decisions that are before you, that have been before you, perhaps for a long time, but that even today, there's a choice that you need to make where you're sitting, about whether or not you will choose to, to serve God or choose to serve mammon in your home, with your free time, in your work. And Jesus lays out in our text today two ways that we can become enslaved to mammon, and we'll consider both of these. First, by living for recognition, we find, okay, to be seen by others. This is a manner in which we can live for mammon, for worldly accumulation. And second, by living for comfort, which has more to do with the accumulation of worldly treasures. Let's consider both of these. First, living for recognition. You can follow along in verses 16 and following. Jesus tells us, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. We looked at this idea two weeks ago, where the start of the chapter begins, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Okay, and Jesus then lays out for us three examples. Uh, we heard this again a few weeks ago. All right, when you give to the needy, all right, don't give in such a way that you're going to give in order to be seen by others and praised by others. So that your giving really doesn't have to do with giving and helping others or serving God, but it has to do with you. It's about you. It's a, it's a, it's a self-serving kind of giving. Right? And we can think about this both in terms of giving of time, finances, sacrifice of all kinds, right? When we give to others, are we giving with the interest of the praise of God and the good of others, or are we really just thinking about ourselves? Okay. Uh, and then he goes on, the second example is when you pray, are you praying in a way to get, you know, praise and acceptance from others, or are you doing this out of a genuine love for the Lord and not just to be seen by others? And today's example is when you fast, right? Um, when you fast. Uh, once again, the temptation is to do good things, not for the sake of doing a good thing, or for the sake of others, or for the praise of God, but just to be seen by others. And it begs the question again, why do we do the good that we do? Sounds like a simple question with a simple answer, right? Um, and you can answer this in a number of ways. Right? Why do you do the good that you do? Uh, maybe you feel, well, it's my responsibility, you know, to care for others, to be a good neighbor, etc. Or 
maybe you'd say, I do good because I'm a good person. It's just because I care. It's genuine. You know, I, I care for other people. I'm, I'm considerate. This is just who I am. That's why I do the good that I do. And maybe more pointedly for, um, for, for those who identify as Christians in the church, uh, you, you might say, I do good because I'm a Christian. Right? Because I've been changed by the grace of God. God's spirit has, has uh, empowered me to do good. Right? He's, empower- he's changed me. Right? Um, I'm a changed person by the grace of Christ. And so this is why I do all the good that I do. Right? It's out of this uh, um, proper motivation, out of love for God and for others. And while I don't for a second doubt that that's part of the story, okay, um, that these are all uh, things that need to be taken into consideration as we think about why we do the good that we do, I'm also confident quite confident that there's more to it than that, and that Jesus knows this, and that Jesus gives us some warnings because of this, right? That we don't simply do good because we're good people. Uh, Even for those of us who would say, yeah, I've been transformed by the Spirit of God, changed by grace, but we also find ourselves with other motivations, We're people who do good because we want to gain something for ourselves. And maybe this is something that you haven't considered in a very deep way before, that you're giving, that you're serving, that even when you think about some of the greatest sacrifices that you've made in your life, uh, things that you've laid down in order to care for others and to serve God, that all of it has been done with mixed motives. Maybe this is something that you've not yet considered. I've I've said it before and I'll say it again. I don't think that I've ever done a singular uh, good act that was absolutely pure in my motives. Uh, As I consider myself as I consider the best works that I've ever done, you know, things that I've really been concerned with others, there's always at play some of this desire to be seen by others as good, to be accepted, to be known, to be, to be identified as somebody who is in good standing with others, right? There's always these mixed motives, however subtle, right? Even our best works that we've done are at least in part to be seen by others. Now, there could be people here who, who do better than that, and I, I am happy to acknowledge that. Um, but I'd say, for the most part, even our best works are often done, at least with some motivation, to be seen by others. And this, Jesus says, inasmuch as it's to be seen by others, to be praised by others, that we offer up our good works, this is to be in service of mammon, okay? of uh, self-accumulation, right? living for accumulation of approval, in this case, using righteousness to make, make a name for ourselves. Truly I say to you, Jesus says, you have received your reward. And we can ask now, what's Jesus' solution in response to this? Right? In, our, in our weakness, in our weakness to, um, in our propensity to offer up these works of service in order to be seen. What's Jesus' response? He says this. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in heaven, or uh, your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus recognizes here. Uh, this is not a matter of just um, changing our hearts. Okay? Well, we're, not, we're not very strong. We, we need God to change our hearts. But there is something that we can do in response right, uh, to this propensity that we have to be seen by others, to want to, to receive acclaim by doing good things. And Jesus' response is this. Do it in a manner that you will not be seen. Right? Um, when you fast, when you do this good deed, which could so easily draw attention to yourself, do it in a way that nobody will see. Right? Do it in a way that nobody will ever know. And your father, he assures you, your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. Okay, for the sake of time, I'm going to move on to the second. 
Uh, also, he, he points out living for comfort as another way that we can live for mammon. Not only can we serve mammon by living for recognition, worldly recognition, but also by accumulating things. And so living for the comfort in this life. Jesus goes on and says this in verses 19 and following. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I remember as a kid um, hearing my mother express what I'll call words of disappointment and surprise when she opened up a chest and found inside some piece of clothing or a blanket, I can't remember what it was, that had been eaten by moths, right? Holes in it everywhere, right? Uh, and this is a picture, you know, that Jesus uses, the picture of uh, the fragility of life in this world, right? The fleeting nature of things and money, possessions in this world. None of it will last, Jesus is saying. As Ecclesiastes puts it, all that we have is a vapor, it's a mist, here today, and gone tomorrow. And what's Jesus' response to this, to the, the fleeting nature of things in this world? What's his response? He says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Right? These things that are not going to last. Don't live to store up for yourselves things here, but instead lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then he gives this uh, something of a litmus test for how we're doing in this regard in saying this. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I wonder, if somebody were to have, you know, something of a video or uh, uh, some in to observing your life, day to day, week to week, what would they say based on how you spend your resources, your money, and how you spend your time, what would they say your treasure is? You know, where would they identify your treasure being? Jesus instructs us here to take an honest look at our treasure, the things that we have, in fact, accumulated in this life. And he says, that is where your treasure is. Right? He says, look at the things that you've accumulated. Look at where you've put your time, where you've put your money. And that is an indication to you of where your treasure is. In essence, it's, he's saying, don't be fooled. Okay? If you're somebody who says, of course, my, my love is for the Lord. My love is for God. And you actually look at your time and your resources and where these things are being spent. He's saying, don't be fooled. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Okay, take a good look at the things that you've stored up. Take a good look at your investments. And then ask the question, where is my treasure? Because that indicates where my heart also is. You know, we can ask a lot of all kinds of challenging questions here. Right? We say we have a love for God's word. Do we spend time in it? Or do we spend time on social media and everywhere else? except for the place where God has promised to speak. You know, we talk about our love to serve God. How much time are we, are we spending investing in serving God and his people and the our neighbors around us versus serving self? And on it goes. We have to take an account of where our treasure is, and that's an indication of where our heart is also. The living Christ, then, invites us this morning, invites you where you're sitting, through his word, to this self-assessment, enabled by his spirit to consider who it is that you are serving, who it is that you're serving. And some of us, I guess, need a wake-up call in this respect. That no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. 
And we fail, do we not? We fail. We're a people who, in our fasting, disfigure our faces. We use our fasting and all of our good works as a means to gaining the approval of others. We treasure our treasures and we build up more treasures on earth, living for worldly comforts, storing up for ourselves treasures on earth in spite of the fact that they will all be lost. And still we invest here. And yet, for all of us who fail, for the selfish, for the wealthy and comfortable, for those so prone to treasuring our treasures on earth, the gospel of Jesus Christ comes as good news to you and to me this morning. It comes as good news, and it's this. That even for you and for me, in our selfish hoarding, in our self-righteous living, that Jesus the righteous, he's one who does not lay up for himself treasures on earth, but instead lays up for himself treasures in heaven. What does this mean? What is this treasure that Christ was pursuing while he was on earth, that he went from heaven to earth and to hell and back for? What was this treasure that Jesus was pursuing that he lived for, not treasures on earth, but treasures in heaven. You, God says, you, God says in, De in Deuteronomy, you are my own treasured possession, or in Exodus, my treasured possession among all peoples, says the Lord. You, my people, are my treasured possession. So that while you and I were storing up for ourselves treasures on earth, treasures we could find, God, we find, treasures us. While we've been striving to serve two masters, Christ has served God alone. And while we continue to love all the wrong things, Christ dies for you and for me and offers new life to all who will come to him. Come to him. Come to him this morning. Trust him. You can't serve two masters. Don't be fooled. And today is a day of repentance. Would you come to him, the God who made you, who calls you and who's loved you in Christ Jesus? He invites you to come and to serve him, and in serving him, to find life, even today. Would you pray with me? Our Father, as are the words of Christ in general, this is a word that is both challenging, but also a word of comfort. And Father, we ask that you would indeed challenge us today by your Spirit, that you would call us to choose, to make a decision whether we are going to today and for the days to come follow and serve Christ with our life, to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and our neighbor as ourself, or to reject your way and to find joys in, in worldly pleasures and in mammon, the God of mammon. Father, we ask that you'd protect your church, guard us, keep us, and call us forward by your spirit to love and to serve you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Christchurch Toronto podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ChristchurchToronto.ca or email us at info at ChristchurchToronto.ca.